Thanks be to God for the gift of music, and thank you for reading that lovely poem. We don't know if it was a poem that was a call and response between two people, or maybe it was just an internal dialogue someone was having in their head as they were a lone traveler. It, though, as a poem, bears a contemporary witness to the assurance that God will create a safe harbor for us through our friends and those who take care of us. Turning to scripture, our lesson for today is from the hymns of the Israelites, the poetry of the Psalms. Psalm 121 was called a song of ascent, which scholars believe was written when a pilgrim would be moving towards Jerusalem. It too may have been written as a call and response, a question and an answer from one person to a congregation or between two people. Or perhaps too, this is also an imagination of one person, a hymn to guide someone on a sacred journey. I invite you to let the spirit move in you this moment as I read an ancient witness to God's care. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. God will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear God, we humbly gather on this day to worship you and to give thanks for our lives and all the blessings we've received. In the quiet of your home, your sanctuary, and in the company of people drawn from near and far, help us give over our hearts and minds to you that we may hear and receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. No one is born thankful. And thankfulness does not come naturally to us, and sometimes it does not come at all. Or so claims Martin Copenhaver, a long-tenured pastor who now serves as the president of Andover Newton Seminary. His wisdom gleaned from generations of leading congregations is backed up also by a national poll by the John Templeton Foundation that found Less than half the people surveyed said they expressed gratitude on a regular basis. It also shows that women were more likely to show gratitude than men. People who attended religious services were more grateful than those not. And young people between 18 and 24 were the least likely to be grateful and are more likely to express gratitude for self-serving reasons. Some will hypothesize that the biggest obstacles to being disposed to gratitude in the American public is because of this myth that we have of our self-reliance and our fierce independence. In a graduation speech last year, Yale President Peter Salovey told his seniors that, I quote, they might feel awkward expressing gratitude because it reminds us that we might be indebted or dependent and that our destiny is not entirely in our hands. Perhaps this naive understanding of gratitude for life and the care that we receive in life is what fostered a custom amongst Jewish families to place Psalm 121, the psalm we just heard, in the delivery room of a newborn, or they would post Psalm 121 in a baby's carriage or in their nursery. Because life is a journey. One day God's spirit breathes life into us and one day we will breathe our last. But each and every day in between we meet new people, we visit new places, we learn, we live through trials and we grow. The psalmist asks, 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where will my help come from? And the ancients answered, Help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe we too should borrow this custom and put Psalm 121 in all of those places that a newborn might need to be reminded or those of us that raise the children need to be reminded. So it asks us, how is a sense of gratitude instilled in us? Some families teach gratitude through discipline. I distinctly remember my sister-in-law would stand over my nephew as he placed a phone call to his grandparents. She would script him almost whispering into his ear the words that he would then need to say of thank you for the birthday card filled with a few crisp bills. You may remember, as I do very much so, the pains of sitting down to pen a thank you note to an aunt for the socks I received at Christmas when what I really wanted was a Barbie. But this was part of the family holiday ritual. We'd sit around the coffee table and we'd write thank you notes. Abundance and a steady stream of gifts, though, rarely teach us gratitude, despite all of the reminders to be grateful. More often, gratitude grows in dark and challenging times when our sense of entitlement and independence is absolutely shaken. And after we've exhausted all that we have, we come to realize those illusions of being self-made, they fade away, and we understand the blessings, large and small, that we receive from everyone. This is most profound not in the material gifts of life, but through the turning points in our life, such as pursuing a new venture without a clear sense of direction, but you find help along the way from someone who's a couple of rungs up on the ladder who do help you. Or you settle into a new home and a neighbor lends advice on a desperately needed pediatrician or plumber. Or there's an awareness that we only live from the care of persistent doctors and compassionate nurses who restore health despite all odds. Or there's that go-between who mediates the hurts and helps us mend a broken relationship. When we come to appreciate the life that we have is through the connections we have with one another, gratitude stirs deep within us. That is also when we are open to comprehending a higher source of our life and we can make meaning of our life in a far bigger context. Many of you know that for several decades I worked in corporations before God shoved me into ministry. And it was early in my career, promotion meant relocating to a new office in a new city, and so I uprooted five times in the first seven years. I had it all down pat. I'd send the moving truck ahead and I'd pack my car with the essentials and I would head out alone on my road trip. And however filled with excitement of the new job I might have, once I was on the road, out in the open country, I had time to think. I didn't have the regular comforts of home, and my feelings of independence veered into wondering, where would I land? Who could I depend upon when I would stumble? And I'd had enough moves and enough new jobs that I knew I would slip up. I just didn't know when or how badly. Psalm 121 begins this way. A pilgrim leaves home, setting out for Jerusalem or some other destination, and encounters the barrenness of roads and hills, foreign territory and other travelers, and confidence begins to fade. In the Old Testament, the hills represented either bad news or good news. On the one hand, these were places of loneliness where fugitives fled, they would harbor enemies, or they were claimed as fiefdoms for smaller gods. 
But the hills could also bring to mind ancient stories of divine encounters between humans and God. The hills stood as evidence of God's power to create staggering beauty and all of the earth. Anyone or thing powerful enough to create mountains was also able to tame the dangers that lurked around us. So the psalm opens with the traveler's honest questions. When I look around, who's going to help me? And the response, the maker of heaven and earth. Now the ancient Israelites were aware of smaller deities and worshipped by other nations, gods who have specific names. They were fashioned into images you could see and think about and you could know all of the details and you could have confidence in that God because you could know it and almost control it. So the psalmist doesn't leave God's help to an ambiguous or ethereal idea. The maker of heaven and earth is personal and active and describing in ever-increasing detail how God is active, the psalmist uses eight short verses with the Hebrew verb translated as to keep six times. God will keep their foot from stumbling. God will keep them from the terror that lurks when the moon rises at night or when the sun burns in the day. God will keep the travelers from evil, and at the end of life, God will keep your life. In this, God is doing all the acting. This keep is not a passive gesture. Consider this. You may have bought some new dishes to set out for dinner today. You will have these dishes. But perhaps you have kept your grandmother's gravy boat, carefully packing it away each holiday and getting it out and being very careful with it so that you can preserve it for future years and generations. You have possessions but you keep that which is very precious. And God keeps us. And being kept by God becomes a two-way street. When we lose our sense of complete independence and trust and learn to trust in God's protection from beginning to end, that's when we're able to give heartfelt thanks. A man by the name of John Kralik had always wanted to be a writer. But he started practicing law, and he stayed through a marriage and raising children in his law practice. And then as he aged, he realized those author heroes who had inspired him to write, that by his age, had not only published their piece de resistance, but they had by that time probably died as well. And yet he had to write anything beyond a legal brief. His small law firm was losing money. He was going through a difficult divorce. He lived in a small, stuffy apartment where he often slept on the floor and had an ancient air conditioner. In the book he has since published, Kralik writes about his turning point. He's out on a mountain hike alone after his girlfriend dumped him on New Year's Day. And I quote, Still not finding the path, I began to slip and stumble in the rough. And as I became more lost and tired, I began to despair of getting home before dark, much less of finishing something I'd started. I imagined falling down into one of the ravines, and if that happened, how would I survive? Then I heard a voice. Until you learn to be grateful for the things you have, it said, you will not receive the things you want. I don't know who spoke to me, and I could not explain this voice or the words it said, which seemed to have no logical relation to the other thoughts in my head. I was tired and frustrated. I sat down for a minute, and the voice was loud. For me, the voice was loud enough that I thought it might be important and that I might have an important message that I should not throw away. 
That day, Kralik started, and he started writing notes to the people close to him, his friends and family. And then it got harder. One day, he writes, I just couldn't think of anybody to thank. As he stopped at his regular Starbucks, the barista greeted him by name. John, your usual vente? And with a big smile, that's when Kralik reflected, I thought, this is really a great gift, that someone cared enough to learn my name and remembered what I drink in the morning. So he wrote the barista thank you note, and it went on throughout the year. Each day a thank you note, each day a thanksgiving. Kralik says the experience of giving thanks day in and day out changed the way he approached life. It also led to him writing a book, 365 Days of Thank Yous. And in this book, he reflects, it even got him to church. I started considering, I had considered myself something of an atheist for years, but I started going to this church near the end of the year. The music was plentiful, delivered with great enthusiasm, and the dominant message was grace is still available to everyone, even me. I can deal with that, I thought. Through the process of writing thank you notes, I had developed a notion of being blessed with grace. There is something about offering thanks that makes us whole. It may take years for us to think about it, or it may take a couple of deep fails before we recognize it. But when we awaken to realize God's great gift of grace and God's gift of care, it's as if we feel whole and we arrive at home even when we are far from home. Gratitude in and of itself is something for us to be very thankful for. Thanks be to God. Amen.